Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the May edition of the Signal podcast from the MediaNet. I'm your host, James Poulter, and we hope you are doing well. We're back in the studio with my co-presenters, family friends, Mr. Sam Hales. Hello. <laughs> editor of Christianity Magazine. Woo. We just keep doing the clapping. <laughs> and back in the studio is also Ruth Jackson. Hello. So um, we've had an exciting couple of months. We weren't here last month doing that special uh, thing, uh, interview with uh, Kate Botley and uh, John Costler. If you've not had a chance to go back, go back and listen to those. Uh, you also may have noticed in your podcast feed that Signal is now on a new platform. We're on Acast as well, so you can get your podcast wherever you like. And we look forward to your comments. So if you are new to uh, using Acast or you're on SoundCloud or iTunes or anywhere you are, we'd love it if you would go and support the show. You can do that by going and leaving a review or a comment. And you can get in touch with the show now with the email address as well signal at the okay that's the notices out of the way guys what's been going on with you guys you've been i haven't spoken with you for weeks so what's happening in your lives ruth i believe that you're uh, wearing some interesting footwear today i am i'm uh, wearing hiking boots how far dress. have you hiked today uh, <laughs> well, I've, I've probably walked for about five minutes excellent so, so all training's gear, going well. no idea Absolutely. and uh, well you're planning on using said hiking boots for a rather interesting endeavor i believe you're walking up a, a very large mountain soon i I am. I'm going to be climbing Mount Kilimanjaro in about two weeks now. Great. <laughs> Which is going to be interesting. So, If you could see Ruth's face, you would know so, that she's uh, really, really prepared. So excited. I am excited because I'm be. raising money for an amazing charity. And while I will be entirely useless to them, I will hopefully raise them quite a lot of money. Who so, are you raising money for, Ruth? Um, they are called Youth for Christ. Youth and they Christ. do a lot of work with teenagers that everyone else has just rejected, basically. They do work with children as well. So, But they do a lot of stuff with young offenders, people that have been kicked out of school, people sort of on the edges of, of society that most people would just look at and think oh you're a grumpy teenager I'm going to leave you alone they like properly get into the dodgy areas Okay, excellent. Uh, if people want to support you, how can they do that if they're, if they're in the donating kind of mood? So there is a website, www. <laughs> it's one of those new things that no one's ever oh, heard man. of. Ruth knows what a website is. <laughs> Alert. www.yfc.co.uk forward slash the climb. Um, and you can sponsor the whole of the team there. So if you don't want to sponsor me because you think I may not get up the mountain, that's completely <laughs> fine. Feel free to sponsor someone else of the team. Excellent. All right. So that's at yfc.co.uk. 
co.uk forward slash the, the, the climb. climb okay the climb it's a website you can use that Sam <laughs> you've been out and about as well uh, doing interesting interviews prayer breakfasts all sorts of all things all sorts of stuff going on uh, yeah at the weekend though I was at the royal wedding you were indeed live mm. and proud from the uh, the sides of the long walk I believe yes I wasn't actually invited into the church oh that would have been something else wouldn't it I wasn't sure if you were kind of pulling some you know kind of Christianity magazine I strings I wish mm. I wish there was such a thing as some sort of Christianity mag press pass that would have got me in but those <laughs> sorts of things just don't exist it was a wonderful atmosphere though uh, enjoyed watching on the big screen and uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry got very close to us got a great picture and a video of them going by Excellent. so I mean I'm trying to sound excited and happy and just about this but the truth is it was really my wife who was really keen to go there Stacey's so a bit of a royalist she, she is she loves the royal family so the alarm went off at 5am and she pretty much literally dragged me out of bed and we got ourselves down to Windsor but it ended up being a really great day was it quite crowded by the time you arrived I imagine like that we got there at 6am and we managed to get on the front row and the people next to us on the front row got there at 4 a.m. Okay. So we kind of timed it well. So in you that weren't regard. camping out with the loot. Uh, not no. loot. Sorry, I mean the uh, the you know, enthusiasts. Yeah, <laughs> no camping involved. Okay. Thank you very much. Excellent. Yeah, there was a, a great piece this morning with a uh, American royal nut um, who was absolutely adoring of the royal family and had camped out in a small princess tent that she couldn't actually get a whole body in. So I'm glad That's that you weren't amazing. subjected to. Wow. Similar. Um, good. And so we'll be talking a lot more about the royal wedding coming up in just a moment after this notice. Later on, we also got reaction directly from the Church of England I've got to say this right Dr Canon Sandra Miller I think that's the right way around um, from the Church of England who heads up life events there to kind of find out about the reaction in particular to that amazing sermon from uh, Bishop Michael Curry that was preached at the weekend we'll be talking about that in a little bit also coming up on the show we've got a discussion about anger and maybe what we are uh, angry about are we all a little bit more angry than we ever were and also our recommendations coming up as well for things that you should be listening to watching and reading over the coming weeks so all of that coming up on the show and don't forget if you've got any comments or you want to get in touch you can do that also on twitter at the media net use the hashtag signal or you can join the christians in the media facebook group and leave your comments over there as well we would love to have them okay coming up royal wedding chat after this That track that you are hearing is the latest from the amazing album from Mr. Governor B. Uh, so you can check that out. We'll be talking about that a little bit more later in the show. Okay, so Royal Wedding. So Sam, you had the first-hand account. <laughs> Just uh, maybe kind of recap the atmosphere for us. You know, what was what was your reaction to being there live on the day? Well, it was kind of, as you'd imagine, I think. Just a lot of a real party atmosphere, all smiles. I noticed there were a lot of Americans there, and every American I spotted was dressed up as if they were going to the wedding. That's so good. So all of the Brits were there in shorts and T-shirts and all of the Americans were properly doled up, which okay. was fascinating to see. Because I think we take the more kind of street party kind of mentality yeah. to it, right? It's you know all about kind of sandwiches and barbecues in the middle of a street, which exactly. the, the States just don't do. But then they feel like extended guest list. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> um, so that was cool. Uh, obviously, it was incredibly busy as the hours went on. We got there at six, but um, I think by the time you're getting to like nine, ten, it was really filling up. Um, 
but it was it was a really nice atmosphere I have to say and what were people's kind of reactions to you know, obviously you're, you're predominantly there with a lot of people that really really want to be there but you must have got a sense of you know, was there anyone kind of like you know from local <laughs> Windsor residents grumbling at the station about oh why is this going I didn't on? see any of that it was all smiles all around in terms of the demographics I'd say it looked it looked to me like there were probably more women than men and I didn't see many people in my immediate area of my kind of age either which was interesting okay. but I, didn't, I wouldn't want to read too much into that because obviously I was in a tiny little section of okay. a very very large place um, but uh, it was a really it was a really nice atmosphere there were no there were no um, drunken teenagers or anything like that <laughs> I mean we were watching I mean there were no teenagers frankly it, it was oh, it was older older folk predominantly yeah I got that impression as well we were watching it from the comfort of our own sofa at home with our, our new little daughter and my wife who is a wedding planner by trade as well so you can imagine every uh, scene was being dissected <laughs> uh, by the moment and, and then instantly uh, you know, kind of put out on Instagram but I, I think what was really interesting with this whole thing was the, the kind of media furore that kind of came around it obviously we you know kind of saw in the week preceding that whole uh, you know kind of uh, will they won't they in terms of the showing up of her father mm. uh, Meghan Markle's father obviously and sadly was uh, kind of um, unable to, to make the wedding due to going through heart surgery yeah and this whole kind of what I'd like to kind of think is the Kardashian effects mm. kind of being applied to this kind of royal couple this yes. coming together of two you know kind of renowned celebrities in their own right and and you know that just whole um over blase kind of element of you know yeah. this is a, a wedding of weddings to kind of really well one of, the, one of the fun things was they had it on the big screen quite near to where we were standing and before the wedding the cameras were showing all the celebrities arriving and so everyone was telling each other oh which celebrity is that or oh, who's that mm. and for some reason they kept showing pictures of james blunt <laughs> <laughs> just, why do they keep showing james blunt uh, but that was quite good fun to sort of spot the celebrity um and it was amazing isn't it to think that the spice girls were invited but Theresa may wasn't yeah this whole thing of it not being a kind of full state wedding but it was you know kind of almost a state wedding john major making an appearance you know george clooney yes yeah, so you think how did he get in because he's a former pm but the current pm uh well they explain this on the tv that he is also because he's a knight of the realm oh. he uh it was allowed to be invited but you know not everyone is so not all previous how do you become a knight of the realm i think you have to do some really good things <laughs> definitely a loaded question That's... ruth definitely wants to become a knight of the realm i totally do <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to know who. You, what, what would you be a knight of? Like the knight of Barnes or something? Ooh, <laughs> that's a great. That's a great question. Can you be a knight of like a thing rather than a place? You can um, be a knight of premier if you want. We'll give you I'd that. I'd be knight of premier. Yeah. Can I be a knightess? Okay. Interesting. A knight. According to uh, the Wikipedia, a knight is a person granted an honorary title or knighthood by a monarch or other political leader for service to the monarch or the country. So you would probably have had to do on something of kind of significant service. James is the knight of the media net. Uh, yes. I could take that, for example. Because he's had significant service to the media net by producing this podcast for many months. Oh, thank you. What about my niche knowledge of musical theatre? Would that make me a knight? A long night, I think, is the only night that you'll be getting with that one. Okay, <laughs> fine. So, um, yes, Knights of the Realm were there. Um, according to Knights of the Realm, uh, according to Renaissance Kingdom's Wikia page, the Knights of the Realm of England, also known as the Knights of the Realm, is a chivalrous order based in England, and the current leadership known as the Triumvirate are the Knight Commanders, Treslance and Dunnekeck. Is anyone is, else wondering how we got here? This is excellent. <laughs> it's my good, fault. Good podcasting. Okay, so you were... Uh, so, <clears throat> well, the other major thing, though, that it, we've seen as reaction to this is obviously it put the church in a really interesting light, right? So the royal wedding, you know, kind of obviously it was a religious service, uh, you know, traditional Church of England service, and many aspects of it, you know, drew on that church traditions of hymns and readings, liturgy, the original, uh, very, you know, kind of similar uh, vows that many of us will, including myself, have taken at some point or other. So, you know, a lot of that was was very similar. But what was interesting was actually a lot of the American influences that we saw from the church.
church were also represented. I think for the first time, actually, you know, for many, it was really interesting to see the media reaction the following day in all the coverage. The amount of people that were you know, kind of talking about things that I think we all in our kind of little church bubble kind of know all these things go on that you see people preach more passionately than you might other expect that you know kind of that the songs aren't all terrible you know all this kind of stuff um, you know Christian Sazam across the table from you can maybe kind of quote us back some of the things that were, were shared but you know I, I found that I was like well of course all these yeah. things but we, it was really stark was actually that when you see the popular media and you know national press commenting on these things it just shows how far there is still to come I think for most of our national media to actually recognise what going into an average church on a Sunday actually looks like. Yeah, but I don't think I blame the media on this one. I think the media are representing where society's at and I just think society has changed so drastically in the last few decades that that you're right. A lot of people are shocked that there'd be this preacher who has a bit of enthusiasm and they're shocked about the kind of the music and that, you know, you're allowed to have a gospel choir in church or whatever it Mm. is. Um, I just just think the media are representing where a lot of of their readers are at and they aren't aren't, um, sort of tuned in to churchy stuff like we all are. No, we're sort of post-Christian now, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. Ruth, you spent the majority of Saturday at the um, Unbelievable Apologetics Conference I as did. well, w- also simultaneously watching the Royal Wedding during your own session, I'm sure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, what was the, you know, w- w- did you get any perception from people that were there, you know, kind of youth leaders and young people, how are they relating to this kind of subject? You know, is, are, are young people actually interested in this wedding? That's a good question. I mean, we had a screen at the conference, but like you say, it was in one of my sessions, so obviously oh no one was watching it because they were all at my session. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think because it's Megan and she's an actress, I think it probably did have a slightly younger zeitgeisty thing than than Mm. Will and Kate, potentially. Uh, But I also think Harry's kind of been a bit of a... You know, he's the kind of rogue cheeky one Mm. that that maybe sort of resonates slightly more with the younger people anyway because he's I guess he's a bit more like us isn't he he's the one who's likely to make a big gaffe and, and we're more likely to make a big gaffe and you know, some of his gaffes are more significant than others clearly um, but I I think I think there is yeah. it surprises me that there weren't lots well, of young actually, people actually I was about to say I say there are no teenagers which is true I didn't see any but there were a couple of kids maybe I don't know five and six years old okay, so that have been bought who were apt these kids really young kids were desperate to be there and the mum had driven them kind of through the night from miles away and they'd set up camp really really early and apparently their school had been talking non-stop about the wedding and these little kids were just so so excited so i need to partially retract my earlier comment about young people clearly clearly amongst some young people there is immense interest i think the celebrity thing is spot on you know i just think if you're a teenager who's really clued in with social media and celebrity then you're kind of going to be doing perhaps as my wife was and following the cast of suits on instagram to see exactly (laughs) when they're landing in london for the royal wedding um, and, you know, kind of watching which celebrities will turn up uh, and, and that whole side of things, which I think was, was new, right, isn't it? We haven't seen that before Absolutely. in a royal wedding in the same way. I think primary schools, like, that does play into it as well because I think you saw that a little bit with um, some of the celebration around the Queen's 50th Jubilee and all of that. You know, there was a lot of resources for schools created mm. and things like that. So I think there is a bit of a fascination with royalty, particularly among younger children. And I think that combined with an actress, it's sort of all an America and England and there was kind of quite a lot of hypey stuff stuff around it wasn't yeah, it yeah exactly I think that what's really interesting if you look back and kind of broader out there's some of the kind of more religious aspects of what you know kind of that wedding service was all about it brought up some really interesting questions we saw actually last week uh, Archbishop um, of Canterbury Justin Welby was commenting in the, uh, the Guardian interview talking about how he actually you know, he's kind of not that worried about this idea of separation of church and state which I thought was really interesting and I think if it wasn't for that wedding would we be having that conversation probably not but actually this idea that you can put up this kind of amazing 
amazing thing. And actually, you know, despite <laughs> despite the kind of republicanism that kind of goes on in the US, this fascination with the monarchy still, mm. just because it's something they can't have. So I think they just want <laughs> more of it. But yeah, this kind of like absolutely interest in this kind of connectedness between the church mm. and the state. And actually that we do continue to live with that, that we live with a national church, that we live with that kind of coexisting. Do you think that from some of the media reaction, you know, Sam, what was your kind of take on, on how people are reacting to this conversation? Are people willing to kind of look at this subject again? Do you think, you know, kind of the monarchy's only got one more generation to go from what we're seeing? Well, I think it's good when a royal wedding happens for the general royal family kind of PR because I think <laughs> we do, some of us sort of change our minds slightly, don't we? And I certainly saw a lot of people being quite cynical in the run-up, but then actually when they watched it or when they heard about it, they thought, ah, actually, this is really heartwarming, isn't this lovely? And all these kind of warm, <coughs> fuzzy feelings towards the royal family came back. So, you know, if I was to take a bit of a cynical outsider's perspective on this, I'd say royal weddings are good PR for the royal family, and it does give everyone a bit of a boost. Um, I, I do get a little bit upset when people kind of complain and they say, oh, the royal family, you know, they're just draining taxpayers' money. And Just because I don't think it's as simple as that. You mentioned the Americans. I mean, it's very difficult to measure just how much money, for example, in tourism and how our economy is boosted, how much more mm. that's boosted because we have a royal family. I think it's impossible to really make a measurement or statistic on that. But I would guess um, that certainly it's quite substantial when you talk about people coming from other countries and they're choosing to visit here in large part because there is this kind of obsession with the royal family or they want to visit Buckingham Palace or whatever. So in that sense, the royal family, I think they do bring in cash as well as spending it. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that we really saw were put an emphasis on this was the uh, the sermon from Bishop Michael Curry. I'm just going to play you a short clip from uh, some of the highlights of what his speech included. But I think one, well, and then we'll also hear from Dr. Uh, Sandra Miller, who looks after the Church of England's Life Events team. Um, but this is the thing that I think has sparked a lot of the conversation. Just hear a couple of clips here from uh, Bishop Curry's uh, sermon at the Royal Wedding. The late Dr. Martin Luther King once said, and I quote, we must discover the power of love, the redemptive power of love. And when we do that, we will make of this old world a new world. If humanity ever captures the energy of love, it will be the second time in history that we have discovered fire. So there you go, just a couple of the highlights from the uh, the, the sermon there. You know, this real impassioned speech, this talking about love, this talking about fire, he went on slightly long, uh, or at least <laughs> not long by most, I think, sermon standards that we're probably used to, but certainly long in terms of what was in the schedule, at least, which I'm sure uh, threw not least a couple of BBC cameramen crew off of their point. But you know, this really impassioned sermon has absolutely lit the media alight. It's amazing what it's done. You know, you've got actually, you know, kind of predominantly kind of conservative media, you know, publishing this thing in full. You've also got liberal media like The Guardian and The New York Times, you know, publishing the sermon copy in full. Yeah, and actually the gospel being preached in a really interesting way on the most public of stages, millions of people watching. Yeah. Um, but it seems that not everybody has uh, reacted to this sermon in exactly the same mm -hmm. way. We saw some people kind of reacting somewhat negatively. Sam, you've had an article this week talking about reasons why people didn't like the, the wedding sermon. What do, you, what do you think that they had against it? And yeah. Maybe why are they wrong about that? Well, the, the really obvious one up front is some people just disagreed with Bishop Michael Curry 
being invited in the first place. That's because he's an Episcopal bishop, which means, among other things, of course, that his church will conduct same-sex wedding ceremonies and others in the Anglican Communion are very, very upset about that. And I think some people felt like, what's Justin Welby doing here? Is he kind of picking a side? Is it really fair to in- invite someone from the Episcopal Church in? Now, I, I understand that argument. I have some sympathy with it. But what I don't understand is why you would use that to criti- criticise the actual sermon. So you can say you shouldn't have been invited in the first place. Fine. Well, he has been now, so let's deal with the reality. He gave a sermon. What was wrong with it? And I don't think there was anything in his sermon to do with same-sex marriage. So if you have a problem with the Episcopal Church on that, I think you can still say it was a good sermon, in my view. I mean, some of the other things that were being said was, was mainly about it being this kind of fluffy, too much emphasis on love and not God's love in in dying on the cross for our sins, but in a more too general much, sense. Too much emphasis in love on a wedding sermon seems like an oxymoron to me, personally. Yeah, and that, that would kind of be my view as well. I mean, there's some truth to it in the sense that he he didn't he didn't emphasize Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that is what God lo- God's love means now i would argue he did say that he just didn't emphasize it or make it the main point and that's why i agree with you james at the end of the day it was a wedding it was about love he preached about love god is love at the end of the day should christians really be getting so angry about a sermon where god's love was preached i'm not i'm not sure although i i do appreciate that you know if others had done it they might have been even more evangelistic and they might have emphasized the cross and repentance even more so there was some of that going on kind of critiquing the theology of it but you know some of the other criticism i didn't have much time for the idea that this was too long i mean 13 minutes is not a long time just come to our church you'll be treated with a 50 minute sermon um, but you know even even for churches that have shorter sermons I, d- I don't think 30 minutes was too long um, when I was watching it um, in Windsor everyone was was glued to it um, people weren't speaking there was only one amusing moment of course which was when he started talking about the balm of Gilead oh, I people, love that. people heard bomb Oh. Uh, they heard bomb of Gilead and started sniggering. And I nearly turned around and started shouting at them, saying, No, you fools, it's bomb, <laughs> not bomb. Um, but I think his American accent didn't quite help with uh, with that one. I think it's really interesting that the only people who think the sermon wasn't good and take issue with it are flipping Christians. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, the secular media is loving his sermon. Absolutely. And I think, fine, whatever, maybe he didn't explicitly say that Jesus died to save your sins. But he did say that the way of unselfish sacrificial redemptive love can change the world and can change your lives and I think if that's not talking about the gospel what is he also said you can tell the love of Jesus how he died to save us all yeah and I I just think that's pretty clear isn't it he's speaking to millions of people if one person decides oh maybe there is something in this Christianity thing then it's worth it yeah exactly if it drives one extra person through a church door at the weekend then maybe that's done exactly what it needed to do yeah Yeah. I I agree it is a bit upsetting isn't it that it seems to be a lot of the criticism (laughs) seems to be coming from Christians I mean not in not entirely there were those who weren't Christians who just thought um, so there was there was actually a comment when I was at Windsor where someone said immediately afterwards well that was very good but he could have been a bit more official <laughs> which was just hilarious because you know there we are going nuts waving flags cheering clapping all the rest of it and yet we expect the god bit to be really sullen and really quiet Get rid I mean, of the why passion. yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah see, i mean you could see when you're watching the coverage live that moment where they said i do and then the crowd erupted and you know outside and then they heard it back in there you know in kind of that brevity you know levity that kind of was brought to it it's like well like when those moments happen you don't question the, the fact that it's mm. you know fun if you go to any other wedding up and down the country at a weekend 
you would have moments where it was fun and joyful and you know kind of happy moments so why, why wouldn't you put that but also I think his passion was a really important part of it as well not just what he was saying <laughs> but I think actually for people who've never set foot in a church before to hear someone not even look at his iPad at any point did he look at his iPad he was speaking so passionately you've got to think even, like that guy believes passionately in what he's saying maybe there's something in it absolutely yeah. Yeah. I actually thought it was a really smart move of Justin Welby to invite Bishop Michael Curry in because what it showed people was there is another side to the Church of England than what is commonly stereotyped. You know, the common stereotype is, is quite different to that style of preaching. And I think Justin Weber did a great job inviting me and showing, look, there's another side to Anglicanism, certainly another side to Christianity in general, where um, there is a more of a Pentecostal kind of upbeat emphasis to things. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, I thought he did a good job. Yeah, absolutely doing something to help also kind of modernise the whole take. My, just Sorry, really quickly on that. My only fear is I hope people don't go away from that thinking, oh, that's just an American thing. Mm. Well, that's just a black Pentecostal thing. Because, again, the truth is that style of preaching happens in churches black and white up and down this country. Well, absolutely. And that's exactly what the, one of the questions that I was putting to uh, Dr. Canon Sandra Miller. She is the head of life events at the Church of England. I spoke to her yesterday to talk a little bit just about what the impact this has had on the church and what she thinks it might have an impact in terms of the way in which maybe Sunday preaching has to change or maybe way in which people actually perceive having a church wedding. So here is Dr. Sandra Miller, uh, sorry, Dr. Canon Sandra Miller from the Church of England uh, to talk just a little bit more about that amazing sermon. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One of the most amazing things I was thinking about today was simply the way in which it has got people talking about the church and talking about faith. I was happened to be driving along today by chance to um, Jonathan Ross on Radio 2 and they're just using clips from it all the time and just talking about it, which is incredible. So it's had a really big impact in the sense of something that was warm and lovely and engaging and inspiring and in some sense startling to people in the way it could be passionate and relevant. So I, I think it was a really good day 
um, for what the Church of England wedding can be for people. Do, do you think that we can think of any other sermons in recent times that have had this kind of impact? Because you're right, we have seen it all over the place. I mean, you've had even papers like The Guardian and The New York Times publishing the transcript in full on their websites and in some cases in print, which is... I think somewhat unheard of in recent media. I guess we don't very often get sermons in full anyway. We don't get a lot of sermons being shown on, on television in particular uh, in mainstream news. We occasionally get a little clip of, of the Pope saying a sentence or two or the Archbishop of Canterbury saying a, a sentence or two at set-piece occasions like uh, like Christmas and Easter or at a big national moment. I think the opportunity to hear live an entire sermon is a pretty new thing in itself. And I think that what people were startled by was the passion and warmth in that particular way of preaching. So I think that's what caught people's attention and made them think differently. So yeah, I think that is a new thing. And perhaps we will get to hear more recordings, more sense of different types of people preaching. The, the sermon, I suppose, in many ways, is the original media format, right? From you know, going far back as you know, Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the, the original form of broadcasting, standing up and speaking, to a crowd. How do you think this might impact churches across the country and, and in particular those who are responsible for preaching and speaking in their churches in terms of either style or just the emphasis that they place on the sermon every Sunday? A lot of people were certainly anxious when they came to Sunday morning. There was quite a bit of things on social media with various clergy saying, oh my goodness, I've got to preach tomorrow following that. But in reality, what makes good preaching for whoever you are is an integrity about who you are and how who you are connects with the people who you're meeting on that day. So many, many people, ministers across not just the Church of England, but many other denominations as well and many other faith traditions who preach with integrity to who they are and understand the audience they're speaking to will week in, week out speak with passion and with a way that engages people. I think perhaps what that did was give a bit more confidence to some people, possibly in slightly more formal settings, to maybe be themselves and to remind us that we do preach with passion and integrity and to bring that to a sense of conviction to what we say. I don't think we'll see an immediate change because it would be wrong. You know, we are not Bishop Michael Curry. We are who we are. We are not American. We are not out of that black preaching tradition. Some of us, some of us are, some of us aren't. But what we do is bring ourselves into that situation. It's interesting you mention about that stylistic point, because there is obviously a certain style that he brought to the proceedings. And uh, certainly in terms of the way that that shifted the whole perception of what it means to, to have a sermon. You know, many will think of the you know televangelists and things like that as a kind of, if they picture anything from a, a black American preacher that's what they maybe had gone to certainly in british popular consciousness do you think that he has done something significant there to change the perception of what it means to kind of go along on a sunday and hear a message for the average person who might be thinking about coming along to a service and particularly a wedding service because the, the wedding sermon itself is often something that is seen as being you know seeker friendly we use those types of terms or not being controversial. Do you think this will have an impact there in terms of how preachers approach the wedding sermon as well? I, I know a lot of good wedding preachers who will already be doing things that try to make it warm and make it personal 
to the couple that are there, which is actually slightly different from what um, Archbishop Curry was was able to do in that situation. For example, I was at a wonderful wedding last year where the uh, the vicar she had listened to what the interest of uh, football in a groom's life, and she actually gave them a gift and she talked through. She took out a pair of football boots and talked using that analogy of how we care for our shoes and how we walk in another person's shoes to talk about their married life together, which was intensely engaging for everybody present. So I think that perhaps this kind of situation, the fact that it's happened on such a public stage, will give some people confidence to do that and perhaps people who are new to ministry to realise that they can do it. And maybe for those who are attending, particularly as you say, things like weddings, funerals, christenings, those formal occasions, to perhaps have an expectation not to be so much taken by surprise when the preacher is warm and engaging. Interestingly, um, I, I write about this uh, myself. I, I was at a seminar a few years ago now where someone talked about different styles of speaking. They talked about how we use in balance what she called more being more cat or being more dog. And when we're more dog, it's about when we're warm and engaging. And the expectation is from a lot of the public that clergy won't ever do that, that, we, that we're always in a slightly more formal and distant space when we address people. When we go towards them with that, that sort of warmth that um, Archbishop Curry did, we catch them by surprise and suddenly they come away and say, gosh, that was the place I've ever been to. And I think perhaps people will be given more confidence to be that bit more warm and outgoing having seen what happened on Saturday. And obviously it was a great time to turn the attention of the world's media on the church and, and the institution, I suppose, of the church more formally. How do you think, you know, in the light of seeing the church on the world stage like that, with, you know, literally millions of people watching, uh, the liturgy being read, sermons being uh, preached, you know, songs being sung, um, both modern and, and ancient, do you think that that will put some challenge on you know the regular everyday church service to also think about the way in which it's perceived you know thinking of it more of a kind of an opportunity for the outside in viewpoint every sunday or every time that we open the doors of the church do you think that that that's resonating with clergy in the wake of this i hope so i think one of the things we would say to people particularly about weddings is i think that this particular wedding said a number of different things first of all it said you don't have to have a perfect backstory to come into church i think a lot of people are afraid of coming to church if their life's a mess oddly and I think somehow when you come to church you're a sorted kind of person and that's not true at all we we meet people where they are in all the in all the brokenness and fragility of relationships as they stand so there was that sense going on as well and I think as far as weddings are concerned the, the heart of that service was exactly the same text that any couple who approached the church of England actually were the same service saying on your budget depending on your uh, resources and your taste and interest you add your own hymns and readings in now that's different from when you um that's different from when you come into church on a sunday morning because obviously that service has been put together by the church congregation who already are regular worshippers and all the time part of my role is trying to encourage churches to think about how everything we do acts to to welcome people and to make the love of God accessible to them. And hopefully we can learn things from big pieces like Saturday service and think about how that translates to, to Sunday worship. But there is always a difference, you know, it's like in our own lives, there's a difference between, you know, having supper on a, a Wednesday evening and having a big, you know, Christmas dinner. They're different kinds of meals and so you do different things for them. 
Thanks there to uh, Dr... Oh, I'm going to do it the right way around. Apparently, Ruth is correcting me in the break, saying it's apparently, apparently canon takes preference. I might be wrong about that. I thought a religious okay. title took preference okay. over anything else. Well, let's do it both ways around, and then we're happy. Good so let's, let's call say so thank you to uh, Dr Sandra Miller, canon Dr Sandra Miller, there for, uh, from the Church of England, uh, head of uh, the Life Events team, to talk a little bit about the royal wedding. And one of the things that obviously she emphasised there and we've seen is that, you know, some people do not always react to these things positively and, you know, anger is amongst us. This whole idea that righteous indignation is something that we've become a little bit addicted to in modern society, whether it's fueled by constantly being addicted to Twitter and just feeling that we have the option to share whatever it is that we want right at that moment through to just having more things to be angry about, that we're more aware of issues and that they actually persist longer. We've seen this come ahead again as we come up to the one-year anniversary of the Grenfell Tower disaster that we spoke about at length last year and we'll be doing a special episode next month to talk about that in more detail and we've seen that as the the story has rumbled on things like the the story about the cladding and other things that have come up again have meant that that story has persisted much longer we also are recording just a day after the anniversary of the Manchester attacks as well and these are, are stories that we keep seeing come back again and again and people actually going over and this anger that seems to be kind of seeping into all different areas. But one of the good things we see is it's also having a kind of catalyst effect of young people in particular rising up and speaking out in popular media and making their voices heard. Ruth, you've been looking at this for us in this article that was uh, in The Guardian last weekend, I believe. Young, angry people. Just tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so it's The Observer magazine and it's called Young People Are Angry and it sort of looks at five profiles of young people who campaign about everything from sort of global warming to knife crime in the States and there's a girl who um, got really angry about the fact that there's a lot of people in the UK, a lot of young girls in the UK who can't afford to buy products for their periods and so she's campaigning against that and and all of the campaigning has been done through social media and and yes they're angry but it's kind of a righteous anger where they're actually turning their anger into something pretty phenomenal. Some of them are kind of heads of organisations now at like 18 years old, a lot of them are doing really important degrees at university and are planning to sort of go on and change the world and you might argue that some of it is kind of naive but they actually are changing the world particularly in their peripheral areas absolutely and whilst we can't necessarily tell from all of these stories that was reported obviously there was things there about campaigning for lgbt rights um you know thinking about refugee children and education lots of different areas but they're not always coming from a place where faith has been the catalyst mm. for this but actually an awful lot of kind of social justice movements coming out of secular backgrounds yeah. if you think more broadly to things like the me too movement um you know and black lives matter these are you know not necessarily religiously fueled which in many cases we think in the past you know that might have been the kind of the basis because some kind of like generic moral standard that everyone's subscribing to do you think that we're going to see more of these kind of activist movements actually be able to maintain a a sense of connection and community without having that kind of common interest in you know kind of a faith background for example well i think it's interesting we're seeing more and more research about the lack of religion in young people and the word that constantly comes up is apathy it's not that they don't like god or or a atheist in any way they're just not interested there's no kind of provocation for them to think about god so i think a lot of these people you know if, if you provoke them to think about god they, they maybe would be thinking about god but i think as there's a rise of apathy and lack of religion i, I think it is likely that these and i do think this is rising as well this kind of social justice mm. element i think they are going to be uh, one without the other that doesn't mean that God can't use amazing stuff that's going on in a secular context. I think it's really important that we don't just reject stuff because God isn't like the impetus for it. I also think there's that thing of common grace that people talk about where actually 
God blesses stuff that's going on that's got his imprint all over it, but just because it's not got his name on it. Absolutely. Sam, you, we've um, spoken about this a little bit before when we've talked about things like the role that, you know, for example, Jordan Peterson, who, the controversy that he kind of created, particularly in that interview with Kathy Newman on Channel 4 recently, or you know, when we think about some of these kind of like pluralistic kind of movements that are coming up, how do you feel about the... Uh, actual kind of ability for Christians to engage with these things in popular culture. Do you think that every time that we kind of see a movement out there and we want to kind of get in, we feel like we're just seeing people trying to kind of force a kind of Bible message into it or are people actually, you know, kind of becoming better engaged around these types of, you know, social justice in particular movements? Yeah, well, it's, it's certainly true that you don't need to be a Christian or, um, to use a horrible phrase, a person of faith in order to do good work, um, which I guess is what we're seeing with young people. We're seeing a lot of the pe- lot of young people are apathetic towards religion, but they still want to get on and do social justice movements. I mean, I'd want to turn to Ruth at this point, the, the youth apologist, and ask her how do we kind of present an apologetic on this stuff? Because the, the accusation will be, well, what's the point of the church? Because actually, I'm over here, I'm an atheist, and I'm doing loads of great work, and I'm campaigning, so, so who needs the church and who cares? the church doing social action because the atheists can do it just as well it's a great question Sam (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think there is but I think the problem is that the church is often on the back foot with this sort of thing I'm not saying right across the board there are some amazing Christians doing amazing things but I do think actually it's a real kick up the backside for Christians to start doing stuff because actually we have got a gospel mandate to do this stuff and we still don't do it Absolutely. Well, anger is one of those things that unfortunately we're not going to kind of get away from. But I do feel that there is a kind of righteous indignation that is something that Christians in particular, we have this problem. We mentioned before, you know, of all the people that react to the royal wedding negatively, it's the Christians talking about how it was not Christian-y enough when it was the most Christian thing you've probably seen on television in, in a very long time. So I think we're going to have to continue to live with this and, and we'll come back to it as we talk more next month about the reaction to the Grenfell Tower disaster. And we'll also be hearing again uh, from Sandra Miller as well from the Church of England with her thoughts on that amongst many other people okay coming up after this short interlude we will be doing our recommendations things that you should be getting in touch with uh, on the show from listening reading watching whatever it might be we're back with you in a second And we're back. So now time for the playlist. The things that you should be listening to, reading, watching, things that we've been watching, listening to and reading that we think are good for you. And so coming up first, I think Mr. Sam Hales has a new podcast recommendation for you or probably an episode of a podcast that you should be listening it to. It is an episode of a podcast. So I don't know about everyone else, but um, obviously this would not include the wonderful signal of which I listen to every single episode avidly. Correct. Um, but generally speaking with podcasts, I'll quite often subscribe to quite a few and then just flick and see one which catch my attention and in this case I've subscribed to the Robcast for a long time this is Rob Bell controversial figure um, I believe still has a lot to offer us um, I hate giving this disclaimer of oh I don't agree with everything he says because like, well, I don't agree with everything I say either but, <laughs> you know what I mean it's like well who does agree with everything someone says anyway I don't agree with your opinions about most popular culture moments so it's fine so we're all end up in the same place so all that said all the silly caveats given um, there's a couple of episodes called A Brief Guide to the Undernet which I think is fantastic listening for anyone who works in the media because he's Rob Bell acknowledges up front that obviously the internet has given us many wonderful things but he's saying there is a dark underbelly to some of it and he's going into what those things are and how we can kind of learn to live with them how we can build a better kind of community for ourselves online he has he always does but he has some excellent things to say about switching off as well so I think because we all work in the media and lead very busy lives and all of us I think will interact with technology of some kind it's worth thinking through technology and the downsides of it as well as the positives um, so I just 
just think it's really, really helpful. I've done a terrible job of selling these episodes, but I promise you they're brilliant. It's called A Brief Guide to the Un- Undernet, Part 1 and 2, on the Robcast. And the Robcast, yeah, also part of just uh, a little bit of Rob Bell news that he is on tour uh, in the UK from July 2nd through to July 14th on the Holy Shift Tour, which is the UK leg of the, uh, the tour that he's been doing over in the US. Uh, definitely one to uh, check out over the next couple of weeks. Tickets, I think, in London are now sold out, but there's lots of opportunities around the country. And Ruth, you've been uh, reading and uh, listening some new stuff for us. What are you recommending this month? I am recommending an album by Governor B, who is a grime artist. I had to explain to an American what grime was earlier today, which was very brilliant. He was, yeah, he was how, like, how, what? And how did you describe it to an I American? I sort of described it as like a particular type of British hip-hop. Is that fair? Yeah. So it's kind of like... Like blended with like trap music, I suppose. Yeah, and I guess there's a little bit of... It's like a bit more dubstepy, but I thought I'm not going to throw in any more words because the poor man was already super confused. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) grime artist Governor B has written a brilliant new album called Hands Are Made For Working. And uh, a lot of it is written about the loss of his father, who he lost very sadly last year. And the first song on the album, Carry On, is absolutely beautiful. It just sort of tells the story of how he found out that his dad was dying. And it's so so heart-wrenching, really vulnerable, but absolutely beautiful. And it's kind of about how he battles with his faith while going through these horrific things. Absolutely, Amazing. yeah. It's a great album. It's uh, There's a, a couple of tracks on that I've particularly enjoyed as well. Um, a couple of singles that you might have heard already, um, Every Day has been out for a little bit a while. I at Boom, which I, I'm not saying like right <laughs> at all, but I at Boom, uh, featuring Rude Kid, um, is also brilliant. But both of those have been out. you also got a couple of other people that you might know, including Martin Smith, also on the album, on the uh, track all I ever wanted a really good listen so that's uh, the new album from Governor B Hands Are Made For Working uh, we'll be playing out the episode with a little clip from uh, one of those tracks uh, just coming up in a moment so that's our recommendations for this month and that brings us to the end of this episode of Signal for May 2018 thanks so much for joining us uh, you will be hearing a new episode next month in June when we are going to be focusing like I mentioned earlier on in the show around the anniversary of the Grenfell Tower disaster we'll also be giving you all of the latest news um, and things that you should be paying attention to in the media plus more recommendations so you can get in touch with the show to give us your thoughts and feelings around all of that and a lot more you can do that through uh, twitter you can do that from at the media net on twitter use the hashtag signal you can also get in touch with the show via email just email signal at the media net.com uh, sorry dot org because that's there that's the actual web address <laughs> so that's how that works um that's about it for us thanks so much for joining us we will see you again in june for now i've been your host james polter I've been Sam Hales. I am Reef Jackson. Why are we all in the past tense, guys? I'm going to continue on being James Porter. We'll see you again next month here on Signal from the Media Net. See you soon. Bye. So I call you king of my heart. Give you my last breath. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash 
Upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.